0: Hey, I'm Pastor Dave Ferguson. Welcome to Crosswalk Chattanooga's Weekend Teaching Podcast. We're glad you're with us. Good morning, Hatcher. Do I understand you had a birthday recently? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Hatcher had a birthday. That's awesome. Crosswalk, uh, can I ask you to do me a favor? Because there are plenty of seats still, but there are some people are having a little bit of trouble identifying where they are. And even if we've got everybody covered, we need to practice. For Easter, I know it. We are going to have some struggles when it comes to the Easter weekend. So, if you don't mind, would you just stand up right where you are? Just stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up. Good, you're doing it, you're doing it all right. Some of you better than others. Go ahead and stand up for a second. Good. Some of you are deciding that isn't for you. Okay, that's weird. But uh, otherwise, stand up. And then what I'd like for you to do is move to the center, which makes more seats available. We have the seats here. We just want to make sure that there are plenty of seats. There's room, and you'll need to get to know some people in doing that. I welcome you to do that. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for that. Uh, and maybe as we kind of keep rolling our way toward Easter, just know that our, our serv- this service is going to probably get more and more crowded And so slide all the way in at the beginning, and that'll be a great way to go so that we can see where there are seats that are available. Thank you for that. Thank you. As we get into our teaching for the third week of our invitation series, the invitation, this week, as we march our way through the last few chapters of the book of Luke, we're in Luke chapter 20, and the title today is Questions. Now, I fear you may have heard me uh, wrongly. You might not have actually understood how this title should be pronounced. It's not like, it's, uh, so there are questions or whatever. No, no, it's question. you got to punctuate it a little bit. Does anybody here have a friend, a family member, somebody that you know who precedes questions by saying, question, <laughs> question? Where are the bathrooms, right? Something like that. Uh, Those of you that are fans of The Office, okay, hoo hoo Uh, anybody who's a fan of The Office, you would know that this is a favorite tactic in an approach that one character, the goofball, lunatic Dwight Schrute, Dwight Schrute, if you're, not, if you're not familiar at all with the office, we'll try to keep you along with the rest of us, and then we'll be back. Don't worry, it won't take us long, but we're going to take a moment or two. Dwight Schrute regularly started things, question, where can I put my terrarium? That kind of thing. Or sometimes, question, and then he would ask a question. Delighting in that you would get it wrong and then would tell you how you were wrong. He was using the question to launch into what he wanted to say to you. One particular day in one episode, you can go find this on YouTube, it's a little bit delightful. Uh, His foil, Jim Halpert, sitting directly across from him, facing one another at the paper company, this particular day, through the door, catching the eye of most everyone, comes Jim Halpert, but he has, over the time he's been away from the office, he has found some glasses that caused him to think, oh, I'm going to imitate. I'm going to come in this particular day doing an impression of Dwight, and not say anything about it. So in he comes with the same kind of weirdly yellowed shirt and tie, and his briefcase and he opens his briefcase as he sits down directly opposite Dwight who's not paying much attention yet flips open the briefcase and out come the glasses and he puts on the glasses his hair is parted down the middle like Dwight and then as he puts away the briefcase he says this question which is the best bear <laughs> now if you're going to do this you've got to it's got to be staccato question Which is the best bear, right? It has to be. And Dwight goes, that's a stupid question. He's not fully engaged yet. And Jim retorts back, false, black bear. (laughs) Very Dwight of him to do. And everybody now is just, ah, this is awesome. But, But Dwight is now kind of confused, but also wanting to argue. No, that's silly, that's stupid. And then Jim just keeps going. Bears eat beets. Some of you know that Dwight has a beet farm. Bears eat beets. Bears beats Battlestar Galactica. (laughs) Which is one of my favorite lines from The Office. And I will say it on occasion, not connected to anything, and just look around. Bears beats Battlestar Galactica. I like the way that rolls. And (laughs) boop, boop, boop. Question. We have all sorts of reasons we ask questions. Sometimes we're genuinely, I mean, we really would love to know the answer to a question. Sometimes we have no interest in whatever your response is to the question. We're using that as a speed ramp to get to say what we think. Some of us ask questions to prove we're smarter than other people. There are all sorts of reasons. Question. Which bear is the best? Bears beats Battlestar Galactica into Luke. Yeah, I know, you're wondering how. (laughs) I just wanna suggest to you, Jesus got here before you did. And if you listen, I think you will hear him. Maybe staccato, probably more gentle. question. And he has a question for you. No matter the experience that has led you here. Uh, When I was younger in high school, I I developed a habit. My my family isn't super isn't super fond of this habit. Um I, I don't know how you feel when you ask somebody a question and they respond with a question. They appear not to like that. <laughs> when, I was, when I was young, I was in high school. I was a freshman in high school. We got some Ozark Academy people, don't we? Woo. Yeah, I went for one year to Ozark Academy and there were so few guys. I had this one really good close friend. And there was another guy there too and, so, and, and they kind of were starting to become, so we were all kind of becoming friends and friends. Over the course of that one year, I felt my friendship with my close friend drift away from me and toward that other guy to the point where I just felt like, ah, I lost something. And when stuff like that happens, you kind of you kind of dig around, you try to figure out what it is that's going on, and I, f- I found myself concluding that part of it was I was regularly saying dumb stuff that wasn't even kind. I found myself kind of stepping in, putting my foot in my own mouth, right, and maybe jumping in and talking before I understood what was even being asked or said or whatever. And so along the way, I decided I was going to be more careful, and one of the ways that I developed of being more careful was to ask clarifying questions even when somebody asked me a question, which is apparently not always welcomed. Fascinating. We launch into Luke chapter 20. Follow me here. What has happened so far? This is likely a Tuesday. Well, not a Tuesday. The Tuesday. This is Tuesday before the Thursday that would be the Last Supper, before the Friday that would be the cross of Christ, before the Sabbath in a tomb. And Sunday of resurrection. This is that, the Tuesday. Not only this, but what has happened already is on a Sunday, a donkey has been prepared, and Jesus rides into Jerusalem on this donkey, fulfilling a prophecy about the one who was to come, the Messiah, the Lamb who would take away the sins of the world, as John would describe in John chapter 1, of this, his cousin. And as he gets into town on that day or maybe the next day, maybe Monday, Jesus goes to the temple and as he arrives at the temple, he sees the structures, the formalities, and the barriers of religiosity that are keeping people away from him and worship and God. And he starts flipping over tables and coins go clattering and The next thing you know, that's evacuated space, and the people who, this is their place. They're they're the ones who are in charge. They're scared enough to kind of rush away, run away, and in the vacuum, sucked into the vacuum of the temple space are all the people who normally wouldn't be able to get in there. They don't have the money for it. They don't have the reputation for it. They don't have the history for it. They don't have the pedigree. Maybe they are a child. Maybe they are blind. Maybe, maybe, maybe. And so Jesus heals and teaches and laughs with children. But that lasts only so long. This is now Tuesday. And on Tuesday, well, on Tuesday, the rulers, the priests, the Pharisees, the teachers, the elders, they're coming back to reclaim their spot. This is Our space, Jesus. And they arrive. One day he was teaching the people in the temple courts and preaching the gospel, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him. Tell us by what authority you're doing these things, they said. Who gave you this authority? Jesus flipping over tables, changing the environment, establishing the kingdom. And coming home to his temple. And they want to know, who gave you this authority? Who told you you could do this? Who said you could even be doing this stuff in here? We didn't say you could do this. You're not, you're not the boss of me! You ever done that one? Oh, not for years. You're not the... We live in a world... It feels to me like at every turn is trying to shout out, you're not the boss of me. As if I'm the boss of me. As if it's a wise idea that I will be my own savior. As if your life isn't in chaos. As if you have no reason to feel ashamed. As if there's nothing I could lose that would feel feel irretrievable. I need no help from, you're not the boss of me. You're not the boss of us, Jesus. Who told you you could come in here and be authoritative in here, Jesus? And just a little, just a little side trip. Every once in a while, in religious circles, in even spiritual places, we get into weird arguments about how much Jesus is the right amount of Jesus. Because we've got to dial up just the right volume of Jesus to mix well with all the other important stuff. Okay, lovely, lovely. <laughs> Love, I get it. You kind of are into Jesus, but when are we getting into the other stuff? This is not a Jesus who has simply been given authority. This is the Jesus who is authority. There is nothing Nothing that ever was or will be without Jesus. Jesus is the beginning and the end, the Alpha, the Omega. He is the creator God. He is the Savior God. He is the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. He is the way, the truth, the life, the bread, the water, the air we breathe. This is the Jesus who is the resurrection, who is life. There's all sorts of stuff I want to talk about, but let's be real about it. Jesus is. You might be waiting for the end of that sentence. But when asked his name, he says, I am. (laughs) And always was. And always will be. I am in Hebrew, that's the continuous presence. And the great news is, while He is authority, he knows you. He came here for you. All right, Jesus, who said you could do this stuff? Who said you can be in every sentence? Who said you're you're allowed to be everywhere we turn? Well, Jesus knows as they're asking this question, what it is that's happening, the trap that's being laid. They're asking this question publicly because they've got an idea of what he will say, and when he does, he will have said it in so many ears that he is stuck, except they seem not to know this Jesus. They don't seem to be paying attention. Across the pages of the New Testament Gospels, Jesus is asked approximately 183 questions, and he answers three. What should be done with this woman? Hold hold on a second. Anybody got a pen? No, I'll just use my finger. Where are your accusers. Who gave you this authority? Question. <laughs> he says it a longer way, sure, but that's what he's doing. He replied, well, I will ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, I wonder if he did it with punctuation. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Bears beats baptism. <laughs> Tell me. John's baptism, maybe he slows down here so that they can look around and see everyone perk up because of all the people who had been baptized by John. And maybe as they look, they could notice also how many had been broken, diseased, and were healed. By Jesus weird question if you yesterday were blind and now you see who told you you could do that Jesus well I don't give a rip who told him <laughs> tell me John's baptism was it from heaven or from in- let's just take a side trip let's ask this question if you don't mind uh, John's baptism since we're talking about who, where authority comes from, and who, let's okay, we'll get to we'll get to your question first. Answer this one: Who gave John the authority? Where is he from? This baptism—is it from heaven or was it from men? And they discussed it among themselves, and they said, "No, boy, oh, this is a problem now. Didn't see this happening. Somebody should have mentioned." Like, when we were designing the question, how often Jesus has done this exact thing. If we say he's from heaven, he will, he will ask, well, then, why didn't you believe in him? Oh, and by the way, he baptized me. And when he did so, he said, oh, that guy, that is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the Messiah. That is the Christ. That is the anointed one. That is the one who was to come. See, if you say, he has authority, now you just said, I do. All right, what, what, do you, what do you think, guys? You want to step in that? Let me see what you do. But, but if we say these from men, we won't make it out of here alive. Notice something. As they are... Designing their response to Jesus, it has nothing to do with truth or honesty. And it has everything to do with their pet project, with their specific idea, with their ability to control. And it makes me wonder. It makes me wonder. How often I, how often we, how often the church is tempted to respond to the issues of our world rather than honestly in response to Jesus, in response to self-preservation and my pet idea. Jesus, where's your authority come from? Hmm. Nice one. Let's ask this question. Let's talk about John for a second. Ha. Ah. <sighs> uh. I don't know. I do not recall. <laughs> I have no recollection of this. And they just want out of there now. They are stymied, they are boxed in a little bit. And in the midst of it all, Jesus, right here, right now, <clears throat> Question. I think he has a question for you too. Do you know that while Jesus only would ever answer three questions directly, he asked over 300? Church, what if we? Asked 100 times the number of questions as answers we give. I wonder if people could trust us more. I wonder if we would grow in patience and understanding. And we might know the people we say we want to love well. But right now, in your seat where you are, whatever you came here with, right beside you, having gotten here first, Jesus is there. And I wonder, are you willing to tell him the truth? Are you willing to talk about what's real? Guess what? The rest of us don't even need to and couldn't listen in unless you start, I mean, it's probably not wise to just start speaking out right now. But he has a question for you. I believe he does. Jesus says back, well, okay, good. Question and answer, period. Sounds like it's over. Enjoy your day as they slink away. Sounds like you can't recall the question even, huh? Neither will I tell you by what authority I do this. Jesus goes then into, pardon me for the misspelling of the word vineyard. It's not like a um, um, uniquely crafted word that I'm choosing to roll out today. But... (laughs) (coughs) um, Jesus tells a parable about a vineyard and there is an owner of the vineyard. That's the God character. Nobody would mistake that. The God character, he owns this vineyard and he allows some individuals to, to rent it, to have use of it, to be in the space of it for a time. Interesting, they have not chosen to be his. They're on their own, and they want separation, indeed, as you will see through the course of the parable. Along the way, harvest time comes, and the owner of the vineyard decides, I would like to just get some of the fruits, which would be natural. Let me, let me send one of my servants to get some of the fruit, and the servant goes to get some of the fruit at harvest time, and they choose to beat him and send him away. Clear reference, you might not realize but clear reference to how many times in the course of the history of the Israelites God sent one of his servants to communicate about how the harvest should go and they beat him or kill them, the prophets. Injured, I'm guessing by beating also. And finally, the owner of the vineyard says, What am I to do? How can I make a difference? And so he chooses to send his very own son. This is the parable, Jesus tells, in this moment. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son whom I love. And perhaps, maybe, maybe they will respect They don't just beat him, they kill him. And in fact, in the the workings of their mind, what Jesus tells in the parable is, they see the son who is there and think to themselves, this is actually a wonderful opportunity to take control. And sometimes we do this, right? We start out by responding to God in a spiritual calling in our lives, but over time, we start to see this as ours and we wrest control, we grab it, we take it, and we will kill anything that got in our way. It's mine now. And the language is, you know what? If we kill him, we can just take the birthright. It'll be ours. And so they do. Jesus switches allegories out of that parable and into another one, quoting scripture that was foretelling of him. And he will say it this way, What, by the way, question, what is the meaning of this? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, the cornerstone, the linchpin, the thing upon which everything else rests, the beginning, the end, upon all things, this Jesus, cornerstone, everything hangs and holds together, as Paul would write in Colossians. What is it meaning that the builders rejected that? And the teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately. They could not because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. Everybody knew what was going on there. Question, what does this mean? And they feel the sting. It's interesting. There are all sorts of ways you can use questions. Jesus used questions to clarify. Jesus used questions to actually out us in our barriers to him. He would also ask an awful lot of questions to give us an opportunity. And this is an interesting thing. Because Jesus is authority. This is part of the big point of this particular chapter in Luke. Jesus is authority is authority he was given authority he has authority he has always had he's he is the one but the weird part of Jesus and his authority is that he chooses to take his authority right up to the edge of where you are and then pause where revelation Verse 20 will say, I stand at the door knocking. My wife and I were talking about a picture, a representation of this that we had seen once where there's no handle on Jesus' side of the door. And of course, we know the only thing that's representing is that he chooses not to knock it down because he could. Jesus doesn't need a handle. But he also won't open the door. The door he leaves for you. Jesus so often is asking questions not because he doesn't know the answer but because he wants you to say who he is, how he is invited, what you want to take him up on. He is, he's here right now. Um, question. How do you want to live today? How do you want to face your fears? Would you like to be clean? Would you like to live forever? Would you like hope? Change? Deep love? And acceptance? You think about some of the questions, the voice of God and Jesus asked through the course of the scriptures, one of the very first the first from god's lips he has set things up he has spent his time energy and love on a young couple Newly married, but they have walked away from him. They have broken his covenant with them. And they have now tried to figure out what we're going to do. We, this is, now this is terrible. We are filled with shame. And we can barely even look at ourselves. And we're going to try to stitch leaves together awkwardly. And it's all falling apart. And so they hide. And God comes in Genesis chapter 3 with a question. Where are you? He knows where they are. He knows where you are today. And yet he still asks it, where are you? I'm right here. Where do you want to be? Do you want me with you on your side in your life? John chapter 1, chapter 18 and chapter 20, the exact same, generally exact same Greek phrase is asked. In John chapter 1, Jesus is walking along. Yesterday, he was baptized by John. There goes the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. There goes the Messiah, the Christ, the One. And some of his disciples decide they want to follow him, and Jesus feels their presence behind him and turns and says, Who are you looking for? In John chapter 18, interesting that it begins his ministry life and it ends his ministry life in a garden with torches and a crowd that's come to tie his wrists twice because in between the two questions there will be a flash of light and everybody falls down like they're dead but he'll ask the same question who who are you looking for who are you you looking for who are you looking for as you come here today what are you looking for? Jesus knows who you need. He knows what you need. and He got here first. Question. Who, who are you looking for? Mary in the 20th chapter, eyes flooded with tears, and a newly risen Jesus will walk up, and she won't recognize his voice immediately, but he's going to ask it. Who, who are you who are you looking for? His question's, do you want to be well? To a man who's lying beside a pool for years on end and cannot move and stares at the water and always wonders, is it, uh, is it just never going to be me? Am I never going to have hope? Is there never going to be healing? Is there never going to be a future? I'm just death alive. And Jesus walks up and asks the question that's ridiculous. Why? Because he wants to hear Your answer. Do you want to be well? Somebody is here today who has wondered if they could ever be accepted. You know what you've done that nobody else knows. The girlfriend sitting next to you doesn't. Somebody here is appalled not by what they've done, but what has been done to you. And it makes you feel like there's no way to get across the separation and the divide. And Jesus walks right up next to you and then says, I'm ready to come all the way into your life. Say it. Anybody here have a sibling that uh, played mercy with you? I have an older brother Two and a half years older, bigger, stronger, faster. This is just not a game. It's not a game at all. It's a weird, brotherly torture. Nah, say it! Yeah, say it! I don't want to say it! Say it! Mercy! spoke with somebody that was here in the, f- in the first service who said... Yeah, I've got a scar. (laughs) It's a mercy scar right there. I didn't say it. And there was pride in her voice. And a scar on her arm. Say it. This is the weird part about the authoritative creator of all things is that he will not take over your choices and walks up to the edge, and then states the barrier. Do you want to be well? Do you believe? Do you want to come home with me? Can I come home with you? Zacchaeus. Do you finally believe? Says The disciples in John 16 right before he just says by the way you will all run away but I will never leave you I don't know who has left you maybe you're one of the weirdly lucky people who that hasn't happened yet so maybe you don't even know how good it would be to have the confidence in someone who will never leave you, never let you go. But he is here right now. Amen. Amen. And he is uh, saying uh, question. Who, who do you say that I am? I know who I am. Who do you say I am? And he asks it not so that some new enlightenment comes to him, but so that Peter gets to say it. You are the Christ, the anointed one, the one who was to come, the one who is the salvation of the world, the son of God. And he is going to let you be the one to say it today. So, maybe you, like I have done, like the Pharisees were attempting to do, design all sorts of questions to try to sidestep and get around and maintain control and keep from letting Jesus all the way in, but probably you feel it right now if you've never felt it before, or you have felt it over and over. Maybe you've never responded to it, or maybe like me, you responded just this morning. And Jesus shows up beside you, and it does not matter how many times you've said it before. He asks the question Who do you think I am? Do you want to be well? Do you want to have hope? Do you want to be clean? Do you want to be free? Do you want to live forever, no matter even if you would lose your life right now? Do you want to be mine? Be with me. Oh, that I would not take this kind of weird approach as told in kind of little old jokes of the man who at the end of his marriage, late in life, a wife says, well, he never told me he loved me. And he said, well, when we got married, I said, I love you. And if there would ever be a change, I would have let you know. (laughs) And Jesus shows up today and says, (laughs) come on. I've got authority and I've got power and I've got all sorts of love to unleash on the world around you but I will not knock this door down and so Jesus at the end of this book or middle of this book he's, he's again being trapped or tricked or they think so and up they come another group of leaders keeping a close watch on him they've sent spies they pretend to be honest uh, I wish that weren't what the world generally thinks about the church. They hope to catch Jesus in something he had said. They might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. And so they ask him the question. So the spies are saying it this way. Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right. And that you do not show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. And so... Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And they know they've got him. They've got him, right? Because he's stuck in this national politics of the situation where he cannot say, no, don't pay taxes, but he will lose all credibility with the people who are saying, man, we need a deliverer from all these taxes and this governor and Caesar himself. And Jesus says, question, looking through what they have done and knowing their duplicity. Show me, show me a coin here. I've got a, I've got a question. Whose image is on this coin? Whose name is on this coin? Whose inscription and impress? Whose coin is this? Well, Caesars, they replied. You can almost hear them slow down. Oh boy. I think I know where he's headed now. Why did we not think of this? Caesar's, they replied. And he says to them, Then give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And in that moment, you and I might see him as somehow being shifty and light on his feet, nice and dodgy in a kind of a matrix moment of don't miss what just happened. More than dodging their bullets, more than saying, Look, that's his. The thing is, by whose image is on it. And those who were listening, teachers of the Torah, of course they heard it ring in their ears. He would say it. Let us make man in our image. Here you are today. You may may have been fighting against it. The bigger point is not, hey, give to Caesar what is his. His face is on that. Go ahead. The bigger point is my face is on you. And that is mine. I have authority. I have rights to who you are. But it is by my choice that I stop short and ask you to say. It's not phrased as a question, but I believe there's a passage, 2nd corinthians in which paul is quoting god and then paul is actually posing a question the question is what are you waiting for you think there's going to be some day somewhere down the road you'll you'll be cleaner you'll be better you'll be able you'll be different you'll be we'll take the time you'll whatever be more interested hey it's today that you have And so the question that comes from Jesus is, what are you waiting for? i got a question for you. What is holding you back? Why why are you leaving that barrier between us? Why not knock it down? Just say, and I come across. Paul writes, for God says, at just the right time, I heard you. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. And Paul goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. You might think of that as some other time, some other place. No. That's now. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. I don't know how you came in here. I hope you came in here with a sense of Jesus presence and it is a natural thing for you no matter how many times he's asked it before for you to say yes, mercy, mercy. I need you. I am yours. I'm so thankful. I bear your image. Let's walk together. Would you forgive me and shape me? And I walk with you as someone who has laid claim to eternity. I hope you've done that. But if you have not, let me just say to you, I can't tell you you've got tomorrow or even later this afternoon. All I know is you have salvation at your disposal today. So I want to invite you to pray. Just bow your head with me, Lord God. Lord God, as we lift your your name in praise, I I just I just ask that you breathe into our ears, that you pose the question again. (laughs) Do you want to be well? Do you believe? Who are you you looking for? Can I come into your life? Pose that question just now, Lord God. And as we hear it, as we sit with it in the quiet, would you notice our hearts? Those of us that silently shout out again, we are yours. We are yours. And I lift the name of Jesus, the healing power. Maybe there's somebody who feels it right now in a way they never have before. They've never actually said to you, I want to be whole with you. This This whole series we're calling The Invitation because it's an opportunity for us to pose these very kinds of questions and to step into the eternity you intend for us And so maybe there's somebody right now in the quiet who's interested in making that decision. If you don't mind right where your head's bowed and your eyes are closed, I'm not terribly comfortable with what I'm about to do, so pray for me. (laughs) There might be somebody here who realizes somehow figuratively at the door that Jesus knocks they need to do something about it. They need to reach out somehow. And, and, and I wanna make a pledge to you, if you would, whether it's grab my card or photo my number, reach out to me or see me after this service, I'm so interested in helping you really grow in that commitment. But maybe, maybe you're feeling like, I just need to act on it before another moment passes. And if that's who you are, this is not just everybody who's walked with Jesus, but if you are needing to say, there's something different I want to step into, and I need you to cross over the question you posed to me right now, Jesus, and you want to stand as a point of action that is, in essence, the same thing as reaching out and twisting that doorknob so that Jesus has no barrier to you. If you would like to do that, I invite you to do that. If you would like to reach out and just turn that knob and say, I am in for this, Jesus. I am yours, Jesus. I need your healing. I want your life for me. I want the resurrection that comes with it. Then I invite you to stand if that's your situation. And I know in a group this large, there's somebody here who wants to stand. Praise God, praise God. Praise God. Yeah. yeah. Somebody here wants to stand and just can't move their hips. That's still enough for Jesus. He just needs to hear the twitch of your arm toward the doorknob. Somebody else here needs to think about it a little longer. And we'll ask the question again as we get toward Easter. And that's fine. Somebody else here, and you can sit down if you've stood. Somebody else here is made very uncomfortable by this whole thing, uh, like I am. I just need you to know, you do not have to make a decision for Jesus to be welcome here. You're always welcome here. Lord, as we sing to you, as we lift the name of Jesus, we pray for that healing. We pray for that wholeness. We pray for you to walk all the way into our lives. Forgive us and grow us. In the name of the one we sing, would you stand in praise right now? Thank you for joining us for this teaching. Consider hitting the subscribe button to stay tuned for next week. If you'd like to support Crosswalk Chattanooga, go to crosswalkvillage.com slash Chattanooga and click the give button at the far right of the ribbon at the top. Notice the campus drop down menu and select Chattanooga. And if you'd like to come and worship with us on a Saturday morning, we would love that. When you do, please say hi to me. I'd love to learn your name.